Hello, and welcome to the Sales Compensation Experience Podcast, the ultimate destination for everything about sales compensation design and administration. This is where the complex becomes clear, where theory meets practice, where dark arts meet science. On the experience, we promise to keep things insightful, professional, and that's admitted, just a touch irreverent. So whether you're designing, administering, or getting paid on a sales compensation plan, we've got you covered. So buckle up, because it's time to get experienced. Hello, Scott. Good to see you again. Hey, Justin. And Paul, good to see you as well. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. So Scott and I, over the past few months, weeks, podcast episodes, have been discussing a sales compensation plan design methodology. And we rolled out the final episode of a three-part series on that. And Paul reached out to us, who we both have known for some time now, and mentioned that he'd like the methodology, but he wanted to dig a little bit deeper. He felt like it would made a lot of sense for people that have some simple changes, maybe to rates and gates. But what about a more complex change that organizations might be trying to tee up? How can we utilize a methodology to help those companies? And so what we decided to do was to go take a deeper dive on three business use cases where companies faced a substantial change to their incentive plans and go from there. And so, Paul, it was your idea. I want to throw it over the fence to you first. Tell us about a client that you helped out with something more complex than just simple year-over-year plan changes. Yeah, that's exactly right. So it, it, just to link also as well, I put a post on LinkedIn about hard changes, right? Where there's just some scenarios that I'm seeing companies choose to confront that are just difficult changes. And they don't fit nicely into the same sort of easy phase box, unfortunately. Um, so the, the first one I wanted to highlight is, you know, I guess I'll talk a little bit about the client, generally speaking, without incriminating. Then let's talk about sort of why they needed to change and then what's the, the hard change they had to make and how does that fit in the methodology. Um, so the example I'm thinking of is a, a dealer of, you know, big trucks and equipment, right? So you think about construction materials, you know, big diggers, bulldozers, stuff like that. And they work through a dealer model, those big companies. So Caterpillar, Deer, you know, all those types work through dealers. And this is one of their dealers. Um, and they have a few dozen sales reps, not a very large sales team, but spread across a few states. And the way that pay has worked in their scenario is it's you get a, a cut of the revenue in your territory, right? So you own a couple counties and I'm going to get X percent of the sales in that, in that territory. Very tenured teams, very tenured people, people don't leave. Um, it's a, it's a calling, right? They say it's an industry you, you are a part of, you love selling this thing and you stick around for a long time. Um, what this company identified is that, Growth was hard to create accountability for um, because people were quite happy just making X percent of revenue. <laughs> um, and in many circumstances, when you ask the question, are your best reps the highest earning reps? They would say no from the standpoint that really the highest earning reps were the ones 
that we're just in the best territories, right? So if, you know, I'm a, I'm a Chicago resident, you know, if I'm the rep in this circumstance that has DuPage in Cook County, which is the city of Chicago and the near Western suburbs, there's just a lot more construction activity, right? There are more people building, knocking things down, building things, fixing roads than there are in Grundy County down the road. Um, a little bit of a ways, right? So if the territory happens to be in one of those plum dense geographic areas, it's just going to produce more business. And it doesn't require the best rep to produce the most revenue in that territory. And if the person in that territory is happy making whatever that territory is throwing off, there's really no accountability or movement to, to motivate additional growth and share in that territory. So that was the problem is they're sitting back going, we want to grow faster than we are. Um, and we, we feel like we have a field force who's not necessarily aligned to that growth because they're happy sitting on, you know, ripe territories. Um, a subplot, of course, too, is that there's a, a fairness issue associated with, you know, territory assignment is really what's driving your pay, not your performance. And is it fair that I happen to be asked to sell in these counties versus those counties? And as a result, I, I'm going to make less than someone else in my team. Um, you know, I asked a question at one point around like, well, how do you know this is really a problem, right? Like, it, it, is it just anecdotal that you feel like your best reps are in the smaller places? And they're like, uh, no, actually, <laughs> you know, we did have somebody retire out of one of these big territories and we didn't fill it right away. And most of the revenue still showed up. Um, so it was clear that performance and sales prominence wasn't really driving all of the revenue. So they're just kind of sharing those commissions without much, right? So that's a, that's a problem where you're kind of increasing your cost of sale, you're throwing commissions at performance, but not necessarily for the types of behaviors and results that you expect to see when you're investing that amount in commissions. So, Paul, so that's the problem. With, with a couple, couple thoughts, right? I think yeah, one, I think your use case is going to be better than mine, right? This is really <laughs> interesting to me. Um, but, you know, first of all, this idea of High tenured reps, when you have a sales force that's highly tenured, I often, to me, sometimes think there's a challenge to make any sort of big shift or change to the plan because there is this idea of, well, this is how we've always done it. People are very conditioned to kind of how they've been paid today and conditioned also to the territory that they own. And I think more often than not, I'll hear people say, like, that's my account, or my set of accounts, as opposed to the company is providing you an opportunity to sell to an account that, that you own the account. Was this something that was part of the culture there at, at your example? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and honestly, some of those accounts would even say, oh, no, that's my rep, right? Because there is such a relationship that happens there. Um, you know, thankfully, in this example, the, the the company had bit that bullet a few years ago, and they did identify certain accounts where it was very clear these are house accounts, essentially. They still kept them in the territory, but they did treat them differently. I won't go into too much detail, but they they identified, look, these relationships are different and you get different amount of credit or certain sales don't qualify because they're just, you know, they're 30 year customers and they're not going anywhere. Um but it was still part of the territory and part of the underlying volume that that highly tenured, high earning rep was experiencing. You know, all I, I think most industries have this look at this is how it works thing um, and high tenured reps. That's always a bit there's a sticky factor, not just for the rep, for the managers, for the leaders. 
you know, convincing in this case that, you know, the head of sales that change was necessary was not an easy thing too, because they're just comfortable managing in this territory plus rate model rather than something, you know, that's, that's very different. Another thing that came to mind, I've, I've given this advice to a lot of people early career, mid career in the sales profession, you know, they ask me what I think about a company or a comp plan or, or, you know, should, is it a good opportunity for them or not? And I always say like your ability to make money uh, is based on talent, uh, timing, right? Is the company in the right place at the right time? And then thirdly, territory, because so few companies go through this exercise of truly optimizing or balancing their territories that your ability as a rep to make money is oftentimes wholly defined uh, by your territory. And it sounds like in your use case, this idea of talent may not even have really mattered a whole lot. They're more an order taking mode than actual selling mode at that company. Yeah. Totally. I, I had the chance to interview some reps and I asked, how do you, you know, what's your target comp? How do you know what you can make in this job? And their answer was, well, when I was applying for the job, they showed me the, the earnings statements from the prior rep. Um, because they could see what the territory was producing. So it was very clear that like territory is what drives your earnings potential. Um, you know, so you know, that, that all came out in, in your, you know, in the, this, this diagnosis phase, right? This assessment phase, right? Understanding mm -hmm. the problem, understanding what's changed about the business that requires a change in the comp plan, right? So there's no design decisions yet. It's more, hey, here's the issue we're trying to solve. Um, you know, in the end of that following phase or, okay, well now what do we want to do about it? You know, this, this scenario fits all of the hallmarks of, of using a goal-based design rather than a, you know, a straight commission design, right? So if I'm sitting on the city of Chicago in the near suburbs, that territory produces, I'm just going to make up numbers, $50 million a year forever. Um, well, guess what? Your goal is now 55, right? And calibrating pay relative to performance against that goal rather than, 1% of, right? Um, and I can assign a different goal to a smaller territory, right? So redefining, since the business problem is they want performance to be, are you growing the territory, not how much does the territory produce? Well, growth inevitably requires some element of what's the baseline and using a goal. Um, you know, so it fits that model of when you're thinking about the plan archetype you want to apply, something with a goal in it <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, but the, the big issue is you've got people who are going to make less, right? These high tenured, big territory reps that if I'm now saying I'm not going to just pay you twice as much as another rep because your territory is twice as big, I'm going to expect you to grow that in order to earn a certain amount of target comp. You know, it's a tough change because I'm basically saying the highest earning people are the ones who are going to make less um, unless they can totally change their performance such that they grow beyond that big base. And that's just a hard, it's easy to say that super easy to say academically, this is going to align pay and performance, you know, but staring in the eyes of, you know, these folks that have been doing it for a long time and saying, unless you can find 5 million more, you're not going to make the same amount of money. It's just one of those difficult, you know, things to implement in phase three of the methodology, right? The actual prep and the communication and the rollout of the plan. It's totally possible. It makes perfect mathematical sense, but an emotionally challenging change to make. So the real problem became, well, how do you transition to it? Do you do it all at once? Do you phase this over multiple years? Do you introduce goals, but not change the plan, right? So this, it was really a strategy around 
how to implement <laughs> less so than a, like, what's the right design. It's like, how do we navigate to that design given the emotional complexities of making the transition? And has that plan been rolled out yet? Is this in the past or is this currently in flight? Uh, you know, time stamping our recording here of January 19th. It is the first month of their fiscal year. Uh, so I would say it's still in rollout um, okay. to the point where if, if somebody's going to vote with their feet, we haven't seen them vote yet. <laughs> um, so it's unclear at this stage, you know, whether all the work we did to, you know, to transition is going to be successful. I hope it is. Yeah, um, I was curious if the initial reaction – yeah. Uh, upon rollout and kind of what that, yeah. what that uh, the emotion in the room was. Uh, I'd be yeah. interested to, to be in a fly on well, the wall there. We're slow playing the implementation. So the design strategy we chose is not to do the change all at once. It is, you know, essentially, I'm just going to make up numbers. If it, if it used to be 1% is your commission rate, well, guess what? For, for 2024, it's now 0.8% which carves off essentially 20% of earnings for us to tie to that goal-based achievement. Um, so it's, it, it's a softer landing spot, <laughs> right? Where we're preserving a lot of the variable opportunity on the old plan while we transition. And we've kind of telegraphed, like we expect that that goal-based growth component to increase over time. So we're just giving a smoother landing. So that, that softens the blow quite a bit. Um, and I, I won't put words into their head of sales mouth, but I, I think that the goals were sort of adjusted in a way to make it a little more likely than otherwise that these big territory reps are going to hit them. Like, I don't think they're really expecting what they expect out of those territories. Like they kind of sandbag the goals to make sure that this is successful. And I don't, I don't recommend that. Right. But I do think that there's just some human nature to, stick your thumb on the scale a little bit to make sure that people feel success as you're trying to change the mindset. Yeah. Scott, question for you. What's your thoughts on this idea of slow rolling out big change over multiple plan years, or do you just rip the bandaid off and get there right away? It's situational in the, you know, the example that Paul provided, you know, you've got people and you've got customers that are involved and, um, you know, I think you want to minimize disruption. Um, and, you know, if let's say two or you know three of the most tenured and potentially well-respected sales professionals with the company conclude that wow, this is not you know they're going to cut my commission rate. I'm out of here. This is not for me. Um, that could impact a lot of other reps just in terms of where they see their jobs going. Um, so I think in this case. Yeah, soft landing or, you know, phased approach or something is really important. Also, you know, as I think about um, similar situations that I've been a part of, um, going back to the job role, and Paul, you mentioned a, a test, you know, that I think is part of an, a, an assessment. It's relatively straightforward, which is are our highest paid salespeople making the highest contribution to our go-to-market growth strategy? And that strategy in many businesses changes. And, you know, perhaps income preservation isn't as important as it once was. Or maybe that's a particular job, but we want to invest into those jobs that are responsible for um, revenue growth. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and we know in terms of public companies, right, those that tend to get, you know, the highest um, 
market cap, all of the things being equal, are the ones that are growing on an absolute or on a relative basis, excuse me, not not their, you know, absolute revenue share necessarily or their margins. You know, there's the, the rule of 40, I guess, to consider. But yeah, it, it's um, I think it's a, a, a job issue ultimately. And then that transition, you know, you really got to think about not only the, the people involved, how disruptive it's going to be to your sales force, how that might impact future growth, but also what's the disruption to yep. the customer? Yep, absolutely. Paul, I've got a question for you. You mentioned the idea of fairness, right, in the plan. And as soon as, every time I hear this word fairness, I think of this type A head of sales. Uh, he's probably in the same age bracket as myself or Scott. And, uh, you know, this idea of fairness is like, oh, life isn't fair. You start getting these uh, parables and, and different types of things to talk about how, you know, uh, there is inequity in, in sales payouts and, and, and blah, blah, blah. At the same time, what I've seen, you know, generational research uh, with sales forces that uh, younger generations fairness is pretty important. And that ability to have an equal earning opportunity is, is part of whether people will stay in a role or not. How was this concept of fairness received and kind of what were your thoughts around how did you incorporate that into the plan design? Yeah, I, I believe the literal response was, well, you're one of those millennials who cares about this because um, I think you're right. There is a bit of a generational difference. Um, you know, I think we had to peg it less on like, are we treating this person and that person fairly now? It's more, are you paying what you need to pay to get the results you want? Um, mm -hmm. And there might be circumstances where a great rep going to a small territory is a better outcome for your business, and you can't do that in the plan you have, right? So if, whatever, a, a new dealership from a competing brand shows up in some part of the state, you might want a great rep to go and fight off that market share threat. And if that's a small territory, you can't deploy them using this plan, right? Whereas if you can move more towards a you know, Scott Barton as a talented sales rep is worth $200,000 to me wherever I choose to put them <laughs> and they're going to do a great job. Like now you've got more business flexibility to manage your deployment of your teams. You can, you can re, you know, move counties around, you can move customers around, you can segment off customers and treat them differently with an inside set. Like you have more flexibility as a business to deploy your team if it's not about owning a territory and protecting the revenue from the territory I'm attached to. So that that's, it was less a flexibility argument to sort of sell it and more, I'm sorry, less a fairness aspect to sell it and more a flexibility element is what got them more over the hump. Okay. I can see now how this lets me make choices I really can't make today. Okay. Hey, last question for Paul. Then we're going to throw it over to Gary Scott's example. You're a data guy. Uh, self-proclaimed data nerd. Absolutely. What sort of metrics did you encourage them to put into place to, to monitor the plan and make sure it's working? You mentioned turnover right away. Are the yep. tenured reps going to leave because they're taking a bit of a hit uh, for maintaining their performance? What are the yep. things should they keep an eye on? Yeah. Uh, one is a metric that we did in the design and modeling phase that carries into you know, production, if you will, which is a metric that I've talked about for about 20 years called displacement, which is basically how much money is shifting hands of people by the change you're making. So if I used to make 200,000 and I'm modeling the plan and I'm going to make 180, that's a 10%, you know, displacement, right? Disruption of my pay. And you can sort of see what that looks like across the Salesforce, both during modeling 
and in actuality. Okay, how much did people's actual pay change year over year? And it's sort of a leading indicator of expected attrition or angst, right? If I'm taking, if I'm still deploying the same amount of cost in the plan, but half of the money is moving from one rep to another, that's a more disruptive change than it's cost neutral and nobody's really changing. So that's one. It's the absolute value of money sort of changing Shift. from one rep to the other year over year, right? So that's one metric we're using to monitor. Of course, the usual like, you know, business outcome metrics, right? Are people staying in territory? So attrition, um, are we seeing a change in growth, you know, uh, an achievement of those goals that we've now established are the kind of key outcome measures. Um, those are the biggies, honestly. Uh, and then of course, cost of sale, right? Like, is it is it well calibrated so that we're still delivering in aggregate, the intent was about the same amount of comp um, that we were paying up before. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, for anybody that doesn't use this idea of disruption as absolute measure, steal that idea. It's a very good one. <laughs> totally. Uh, just remember where you heard it. Uh, from Paul. <laughs> Scott, you got a complex uh, change, a difficult change uh, for us to, to hear about? Yeah, I'll focus on one for the moment. So this had to do with um, adoption of a new measure, a new performance measure and tying pay to that measure. And also, it's kind of a two-parter, um, going from a bookings component to a consumption or usage basis based measure. So, two-parter. So, the company uh, it, it, you know ha has a, a technical application, a web-based application that enables uh, payment processing, um, you know, purchases on websites through their through their application. And the, uh, the sales representative's job initially, you know, their mission, right, they had a list of, you know, a couple hundred or so accounts. Most of these are kind of mid to small size businesses, and they connect with the proprietor and, you know, book a, an agreement, a contract to um, get the, you know, to enable essentially this, um, this portal, right, on, on the business's website. Um, and then, you know, they pitch it to, um, you know, like a config or a, an enablement team, and, and they're on to their next their next uh, conquest. Um, so relatively straightforward, but, um, you know, there, there was an observation that, um, you know, the company was spending a lot of money to put the button on the website, but that in itself didn't generate uh, revenue. And they really needed to hold in part, um, you know, the salesperson accountable for revenue generation as well. So that speaks to a job modification. Um, but, you know, of course, they started with the, the caboose and focused on the comp plan and put a revenue, um, you know, consumption based component in the plan, along with the bookings, you know, get the button on the site um, component that had been there before. And it was a big change in part because the way in which um they attempted to measure and report revenue at the account level, uh, particularly when, you know, the average rep had, you know, at any given time, you know, maybe 80 accounts that were producing revenue w was very problematic. It was a, so I think in my use case, it's a definitely similar idea of, of revenue, but it was recognized revenue. Is this the same idea there of, of RevRec? And if so, how difficult was that education 
uh, of the rep that it's not no longer bookings. It's not contract signing. It's not invoice. It's not cash received. It's actually revenue, which is a delay, right? From the initial event of the sale. And, and how, how did you go about bringing the reps up to speed on this idea? Not well. <laughs> the attempts at educating them, you know, just were largely ineffective because they're going back to, Hey, you know, it, it, the ones that were following this, there, there were others that, you know, weren't even aware of what it was that their customers uh, were spending per month or, you know, the amount of the invoice. But for those who did track that detail, they say, hey, I know what my customer's spending and this is not what's showing up on my mm. commission statement. <clears throat> and it was because, yeah, they're using, you know, definition of revenue that has put some takes that, uh, you know, aren't, aren't. Yeah, I think the other other thing that tends to pop up, the other thing that tends to pop up on, you know, consumption basis is the, you know, do you want me to, like, I have no control of that, right? As a rep, you know, whether they spend X this month or Y the next month, to the extent it's not a flat number, right? If it is actual consumption of, you know, workloads, data moved, whatever the metric is for the business, Right. I'm not accountable for that. Like my job was to get them to use us. It's not my, it's, it's a customer service issue, a success issue, uh, whatever. Right. So it's not just understanding the difference. It's more, what do you want them to actually be doing month to month to influence that number? If anything, um, is the other. Yeah. yeah. That's an important point that, yeah, I'd like to go back to that. I think, you know, in terms of the, the difficulty too, um, in an attempt to avoid a situation that Paul described, where you've got, you know, people that are making a lot of money from accounts that are generating revenue, and they're not doing anything to influence that revenue. When's the last time you spoke with a customer? Gosh, I don't know, you know, a year and a half ago, maybe. It's just, you know, the pipe is open and people are buying stuff and, you know, using the, the app and it's just happening. So to mitigate that, right, they put a time boundary on revenue for purposes of compensation. And I think initially it was a year. So we'll provide you a commission. And it was, I'm sure it was gold-based with tiers and stuff like that. But essentially, you know, you're going to earn a commission on every dollar of revenue for, for an account uh, for 365 days past the, the booking date or when it was installed or something. And so, again, you just think about how many accounts you know, a, a, a rep is managing and in any given month, they're seeing, you know, some added, some dropping off. And it just led to a lot of questions and people not really understanding ultimately where, you know, where their pay came from, how it was yeah. calculated. So Scott, I, I've seen this problem many times, uh, I'll say it over the years, where when people definitely put some automation or tools around uh, the compensation where reps are, are used to going to one place to look for a report. In this case, maybe they're looking at Salesforce to say, hey, I see my customer spend in Salesforce. Well, finance or accounting, you know, looking at RevRack, they're definitely not, probably not pulling it from Salesforce. They're pulling it from an accounting system of some sort. Um, and so there's a reconciliation process between these two. Right, customer spend does not necessarily equal uh, recognized revenue, and certainly not in that same period or however you want, you know, however it's done at your particular company. I've seen tons of system integrators. They go implement a system and they'll build a, you know, a, a, a report or a statement to allow the rep to have a place to go look. 
But then that last final mile or this idea of change management, nobody explains to the rep, right? Maybe you're doing, you're explaining to them the, the mechanics of the plan. Here's how the math works. But that idea of where should you go to get a visualization of how much you're going to get paid? Why should you not look at the report you've been looking at for the past five years? And, and, and this is now the new source of truth. And if you submit a dispute, you know, you do not submit a dispute based upon what you see in one particular system, but submit it from this new uh, report. Like this idea, I haven't seen well executed at many companies. And you go talk to the comp admins after it's been rolled out and they say, yeah, you know, now 15, 20, 25% of my time is, is helping people reconcile the difference between the report they look at and what, how, you know, the data input and the reports that we use to actually pay them, the, you know, big disconnect. I see this time and time again at companies and there really has to be kind of a, a launch, right, of that reporting system to make sure the reps know where to go uh, to be able to understand what they're going to get paid, but not, not done well often. Yeah. Yeah. And, and ideal, not, not only where to go, but ideally once they get there, they don't have to spend right. much time there. Right? Because that's not where you want them. That's to why I always use time. the term visualization versus report. Because to me, a report means somebody has to go interpret it and figure out what are they looking at. And again, you know, spend some, some time where a visualization to me is that idea of snapshot views, graphical um, icons, dials, bells, whistles, whatever it might be. Tell people, you know, at a glance, understand what's going on and they can dig deeper if they have to, but uh, give them the quick view. I know, I know, Justin, you still have one more scenario to speak to, but it's striking yeah. to me already that both of these sort of hard changes, the the, the, the magic and, and the thing that's been the hard has been in that third phase of the methodology, which I think it was Scott who said it in your episode around like, we're always pressed for time and we don't spend as much time there, but both of these have like the critical part has been how do you actually get this in the hands of people that they understand it? Like the, the design itself hasn't been what we've talked about. We've not described like a really complex mechanic. Yeah. It's been more, how do you make it successful in the hands of participants? Um, so just an observation that uh, it seems like that's what makes it hard is actually phase three. Not It's not knowing what to change and figuring out the change. It's getting people to change is actually where, you know, we, we seem to stumble or have the biggest challenges. Yeah, I, I agree. I've seen a lot of companies, you know, I always say you get the ball to the goal line. Now you got to. Yeah. What's it? What is Philly this year? The, the tush push, the right, tush uh, push to get it in, even though the bills, I guess, stopped them. But the idea of <laughs> you got to get it across the line, got to complete the mission. Right. All right. Well, I'll, I'll go last. And, and this was sequenced on purpose because uh, as we were doing some pre-show planning, Paul mentioned looking at podcast metrics and that there's a, a big die-off. People will listen to the front part of a podcast, and by the time you get to the end, nobody's left listening. So I figured, why not save myself for last? The pressure is off because there's nobody left. All right. So I, I have a, a company that uh, helped out with some initially some plan design efforts, and it led into some other things based upon kind of that effort because, again, this idea of not all things can be solved within a sales compensation plan. And it might not have even have been kind of their, their number one uh, issue or thing, thing to focus on. But they were facing, you know, a tremendous amount of change. Uh, new CEO, 
uh, a new CRO promoted from within the company, um, but a declining business, uh, consecutive years of revenue decline, um, somewhat offset through acquisition. And a lot of the acquisitions were not necessarily core business, but some software companies, some SaaS-based models to, to throw into the bag as another thing for the reps to sell. The plan, uh, as it existed, uh, was based upon contract signing, so a booking. But when we did uh, the analysis, you know, we could, and they already knew this answer, but we kind of, we laid it out for them once again, that that, that idea of, of contract booking was not leading to revenue growth. Again, declining business year over year. Uh, the investors, the board, the new CEO, new new chief revenue officer all kind of had a singular mission of, hey, we have to turn this around and we need to grow. Uh, the decline is over and we need to grow. So they definitely wanted something in the comp plan to, to make that happen. I'll throw in some sales culture ideas as well, right? So we have new set of sales leaders and there are some of the old school sales folks from within the company. New person promoted to the top, brought some of his cohorts uh, up to the level beneath them. A high level of employee attrition. And when I say a high level, um, north of 60% turnover a couple of years in a row. So not this tenured sales force that has never left the company, uh, the vast majority of the people in the company had been there in a sales role less than three years. And, you know, a vast and a majority of the people were kind of still on ramp to some degree, right? Learning their territory, learning how to sell, learning the systems, you know, uh, learning the sales, the selling motion of that particular company. As well as, you know, there was certainly a willingness uh, to make people whole, right? This idea of, uh, let's use pay to get people to target as opposed to let's use pay to really drive uh, behaviors or reward performance. So when, when we talk to the different stakeholders, you know, we certainly had this idea of from the top, you know, the CEO uh, basically saying, hey, we got to grow revenue. Uh, you know, the finance team was, hey, we got to, you know, reduce cost of sales. So I'm like, okay, this is, this is, I go, and you can guess the third one uh, from sales, hey, we got to, you know, be competitive to recruit and retain more, maybe more importantly, retain the people that we had today. And kind of where they had gotten over the years, you know, with these, these acquisitions of software companies was that they had started competing for talent with software companies. And so they were maybe in a different pay range than the kind of their core business that they were in. And I think that, um, you know, they were kind of, they were both right to some degree. The finance team was right saying that, hey, our, our compensation cost of sales is not right. It's trending upwards. Revenue's declining. There's an issue here, right? There's some math that kind of works out uh, by design there. And then, you know, sales leadership said, hey, we can't recruit. And we're having difficulties retaining people. I'm like, okay, this, you know, a lot, a lot of this is, uh, um, you know, probably sounds familiar to, to you guys. But they definitely wanted to, to shift to some revenue components in the plan. And the big push, and this is kind of where a lot of the, the decision making, and I hate to say compromise because I was firmly in one camp, and I think that the, the client team was firmly in the other or they wanted in a singular year with kind of this other dynamic of change that were going on to move from this like, contract signing plan to a revenue plan. 
and the revenue being based upon a book of business and depending upon uh you know when people renew their contracts throughout the year and there's a couple boluses of contract renewals some at the beginning of the year some at the beginning of Q4 that that revenue base or book was not going to to change a lot from month to month and so the idea of changing behavior or getting somebody excited or getting to a you know a closing event or having you know sales leadership tell people hey we got to make a push not really there, right? As well as some system difficulties, kind of I think like what Scott alluded to of how do where are we going to grab this number from uh, that is you know a clean number? Because the other kind of dynamic was they have quotas based upon this book of business, and as people leave the companies, the the accounts get passed out to people who remain, and their quota is dynamic over time, and so their quota goes up and down over time, and so. We talked about the idea of true ups and different things and how do we make this work? And I was pushing for, let's go 50-50. Let's make 50% of the, the pay at risk based upon this book of business. They need to kind of maintain the base, stop the decline, and then 50% based upon bookings to try to drive some increased revenue and growth performance. And then we can dial up the, you know, the amount of pay between those two by role and have the flexibility within the plan design uh, in future plan periods to go 70-30, however you want to do it, or pull it back if we find that this isn't working as well uh, type of thing. But that's kind of what we did. Uh, it was a challenge. And the, and the communication plan, we, we thankfully had the buy-in and the time to put together what I call you know a cascading plan of communications. It started with the CEO you know, talking about kind of the competitive environment they were in, uh, you know, kind of this stark reality of, hey, we're not growing, we're, we're, we're dying. And we got to turn that around. And everybody has to, you know, be pulling in the same direction. Uh, to the CRO who kind of said, well, yeah, here's how we're going to, you know, here's what we're going to, here's the changes that we're going to make, like kind of what's still in the plan, what's new in the plan. And then all the way down kind of to the managers, to the one-on-one folks to let people know, we didn't use this idea of displacement, but we certainly gave them a, a winners and losers report to kind of say, hey, you do the exact same thing you did last year. Here's how much money you're going to make this year. Yeah. And, and here's some bullet points of what you might need to do differently. But when I say maybe it wasn't the biggest thing that they had to change within their company, to me, the biggest thing they had to change within their company that we didn't get to was this idea of a balanced territory mm. uh, because the territories were not necessarily equitable we made them equitable, um, you know, from a individual commission rate, from an earnings potential, but from a workload standpoint, the amount of work that somebody had to do to renew their book of business and get kind of that revenue component, and then have enough time left to go grow their book uh, through selling net new. Some people were overloaded on one end, and some people were overloaded on the other. And so, again, the idea of is it two roles? Uh, is yeah. it a singular role? And that was one of the things where I said metrics, you know, for them to look at in places. Well, is there a bifurcation or a certain subset of that sales force that was making more, the, you know, a vast majority of their money, 80% of their money off one metric or the other? If that started to be a high count of reps within the role that are making money off the one versus the other, maybe you do have to split that into a hunter versus farmer type of, yeah. or, you know, classic role. 
but that's it. That was the case. And it yeah. was uh, definitely a challenge. They have a ton of challenges at the company. They're continuing to make it, you know, improvements on a number of fronts. I think they're doing, they're doing well from the last check-in that I had. Um, but it was one of the more complicated things that I had. And it wasn't necessarily, for, again, from the design itself, I thought it was fairly simple. But the modeling and the communication plan definitely was on the complex yeah. side. Yeah, if I could, when you started the the, the example, it, it was bringing back some dark days of my life back in the early two thousands, where I did way too much work in the yellow page business, and that'll that'll sort of date that sort of date stamps the whole problem, um, you know. But it sounded the same, like, hey, the business is declining. We need to grow. We need to grow. Let's gonna we're gonna pay you on growth. And all the all the time, like I think everybody, including myself, did not realize like you are fighting a battle you just can't win, right? So there is a little bit of judgment and discernment on how much of the how much of the churn is sales accountable churn <laughs> versus like we just have a problem, like we are selling something people don't want, and you know your eyes not on the renewal, you're not touching that customer at the right time. That's sales accountable churn, right? But hmm. you know the internet is going to kill the yellow pages was something that no sales comp plan was ever going to fix, <laughs> right? Like we couldn't make the salespeople outsell Google in 2001. We tried, it didn't work, you know, but that, it, you had to have that aha at the beginning about can sales turn this around? Uh, you know, hopefully in your example, they can. Like this is sales accountable churn, but yeah. if it's more of a business strategy thing, you know, sales reps are going to be the unfortunate, you know, byproduct of a, of a bad implementation at that point. No, there, there was some business strategy issues because the industry, not declining like the yellow pages per se, right? But certainly a, a, a product shift needed to be made. The products weren't necessarily ready. And so there needed to be some really good uh, you know, messaging and value prop and actual selling to get people to go with their company versus, you know, a, a number of viable competitors who were kind of have made, had made that leap into what the next uh, kind of set of solutions were. And so they had some, they definitely had some selling challenges. They needed people to actually sell as opposed to kind of sit back and say, Hey, I'm in the right place at the right time, you know, type of thing. They had to go uh, you know, wins win win competitive deals with maybe a slightly inferior solution. Yeah, it strikes me as um, you know, I don't know, maybe predictable for us, but it, you know, with all with each of these three cases, the solution path, um, comp solution path, includes you know a stopover um, at kind of the the job clarity, and when we're talking about revenue, how because revenue is a, a relatively um, you know, lagging mm -hmm. indicator, right? A lot of things have to happen, you know, before you see a dollar of revenue. Some of those the salesperson is responsible for. But, you know, ultimately understanding how how the job influences revenue and revenue growth. That that applies, I think, to all three of our um, situations. And then the, the other kind of, and this is where you get into comp mechanics, but I find it tends to be, more of a problem with like, a, a, you know, account management jobs on large books of business. And that is how do they beat the plan? Because in some situations, mature businesses, large accounts, revenue as a lagging indicator can be fairly predictable. And so then the quotas become relatively accurate and it can be very difficult for the account manager so to wildly to outperform beat yeah. the plan. Yeah, wildly outperform. 
And that's, I think, in part because of those issues, you know, I've seen um, interest or maybe more interest of late on, you know, leading indicators. So what are those things that the sales professional can do that they, you know, we can hold them accountable for that does grow revenue? Um, You know, in my case, right, well, if you don't have a button on the website, you know, people aren't going to use the application, so even though you might say, well, you know, we're paying for stuff that doesn't necessarily generate revenue, somebody's got to do it. <laughs> and when the salespeople were focused on that particular outcome, they, they were pretty, pretty good at doing it, right? It was a very focused job. Then you pull them into other things, you know, it's kind of the classic uh, hybrid job conundrum. Um, so, yeah, go, going back to the job is always a good and I think, a, you know, a pretty early stop right on the, the solution. Journey. You know, Scott, you bring up a great topic. I think the idea of leading versus lagging indicators, there's not many people with a mixed opinion on that. I, I, and I think people, uh, you know, take a fairly strong stance on either side of that, that equation, either pay for performance or pay for effort and hope for performance, I think are the two uh, sides of that coin. Um, but if we wanted to chat about that at some other time, I think that'd be a good one. Yeah, it's definitely a topic that um, I think becomes more viable, maybe more acceptable or palatable as you know we we uh, understand greater capabilities and measurement and technology, you know, artificial intelligence and the like. Because some of the stuff in the past was just very difficult to measure, and you get into then you know subjectivity and you know. Lack of no, I think that's a good point. This idea of advanced analytics, advanced statistical um, uh, methodologies, as well as AI, this linkage between leading indicators and actual performance, the crystal ball is getting less murky, I think, where people can start to say, oh, this does tie to that, as opposed to not having good data, not having a sophisticated set of tools and having to wait till after the fact to say, um, okay, yes, it did lead to something good. We've de-risked it completely, you know, to the company. And now we're going to put some cash in the hands of people, which I think, you know, ultimately, you know, certainly probably a, a weaker reward and, and not as, you know, influencing to the behavior as paying somebody for the things that they have a hundred percent prominence and control over the idea of, of effort of doing a set of tasks or particular activities that we know will lead into something tied to success. But uh, yeah, let's do a deeper dive on that if you if you're, you guys are interested. All right, always. Well, hey guys, I think this uh, brings us to the end of our time together today. Paul, I want to thank you for for sharing your use case and for for challenging us on the applicability of the of methodology to more complex examples versus the easy stuff that a lot of people face on a year to year basis. Absolutely. Scott, no, I, yeah. absolutely. Thanks for, thanks for taking up the conversation. Yeah. And Scott, once again, uh, I learned something new every time I, I chat with you, Paul, I pick up new things from you all the time. So I love to have you as talk to you as well. But with that, let's get back to work and until next time. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And that wraps up another episode of the Sales Compensation Experience. Our goal with the experience is not just to share knowledge, but to spark conversations. So don't be shy. 
If you have feedback, questions, topic ideas we should cover, or a guest you think we should interview, let's continue the conversation at our exclusive LinkedIn private community called the Sales Compensation Experience. We hope you'll join us there. Until then, keep challenging the status quo and never stop learning.